Good evening. It's great to be here with you guys tonight, and this is very special for me to get to be here because this is a place where my family worships, and you all, as you probably already know, mean a lot to them. And one of the things that I want you to know is you mean a lot to me and my family. And every time that we have come through the doors of this place, you have made us feel at home and feel loved. And for that, we want to say thank you. And it is always a treat for us to be here. And if Cam knew I was here tonight um, without him, he would be very disappointed because he said, I like to go to that church where I can run down the hill. Talking about that little thing back there. So anyway, uh, he, he would have definitely loved to be here tonight. So like a lot of you probably in this room, I grew up in the church. But even if you did not grow up in the church, there are certain catchphrases and phrases we use. Sometimes they almost just become second nature that we don't even realize we're using them. And some of these phrases that I'm about to give you are ones that you could probably finish, and I'm actually going to give you the opportunity to finish these for me. Guide, guard, and direct. Separate and apart. And I'll never forget when I was in the youth group at university, I was sitting in the front row, and this man came up. Instead of saying separate and apart, he said apart and separate. And I, never, I was like, is that scriptural? I wasn't really sure if that was even okay to say. And I think sometimes the reason why we use those phrases is there's certain things we want to say, but we don't really know how to say it. And so what we can do is, you know, use that phrase to say something that would have maybe taken three sentences. We can say it in something short. Nothing wrong with those phrases. But I will say that there are certain phrases that we do use that if we're not careful, they can impact our theological makeup in a very deep way. And, and what I mean are certain statements like this. Sometimes the only gospel that people will ever read is your life. Or a phrase like this. Sometimes the best example of the gospel that someone will ever see is the way you live. Now, both of those statements that I just shared with you are absolutely true. That, that the way we live, it matters. In fact, you go back to the very beginning of Acts, in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, Jesus makes this statement. He says, you will be my witnesses. So witnessing is not what we do. Witnesses is what we are. As God's people, everywhere we go, we are bearing the name of Christ, therefore giving witness, drawing good attention or negative attention to His name. And I think about this a few weeks ago. We went out with this group of people to eat. And we were sitting next to this table and I felt so sorry for the waiter because if you've been at any restaurants lately, what's going on? They're short-staffed, right? And we were sitting right next to this group of people and this lady starts just really getting at the waiter because nothing's going the way she wants it to. And I will say it's, it took a long time for us to get our food, but I felt he didn't, he had basically half the restaurant by himself. And she was just getting at him and getting at him. And I'll never forget, we were close enough to hear at the very end of that meal when she had asked for the check, she then said, here's my church bulletin for the discount. And I don't know if the preacher was sitting at that table, but I, or I'm sure he would have liked for her just to take the name out of that bulletin, not to be a reflection on that church. But I, so our example, does it matter? Absolutely. Does the way we live, yes, it matters. But sometimes I think we use statements like that and, and maybe it's even unintentional at times to maybe let ourselves off the hook. To only let really the main thing that we 
give to other people is our example alone. See, because there eventually is going to come a time that while your example does matter and it means a lot, that there are going to be moments when you're going to have to say something, that you're going to have to give love, you're going to have to extend a hand. It can't just be something somebody sees from far away. In ministry, if you've, and you've maybe even um, experienced this, if you've been in ministry too, I know we have several former ministers in here. When you go out in public, when people find out you're in ministry, you get a lot of different responses from people. And I know for me, some of those are because I'm younger. And so like this one lady, she asked me one time what I do for a living. And I said, well, I'm a, a, a preacher. And she said, oh, you mean you're a youth minister? And I said, well, no, ma'am, I'm actually a, a preacher. She goes, oh, honey, you're talking about the person that stands up on a stage. I'm not, that's what you're, I'm like, yeah, that's what I do. And then she said, are you sure? Um, and I was like, I think so. Uh, and then another one that I got one time was um, I was trying to find a parking spot at this hospital in Fairhope, and there was no spots. And at Thomas Hospital in Fairhope, they only have one clergy spot. And I never like to take the clergy spot be, especially there because there's only one and I don't want to be the guy that takes the only one spot but I had to get in to be with this person and pray with them before the procedure so I parked there and I get out of the car and this lady stops me she says excuse me sir that's for clergy and I said yes ma'am I'm a preacher and then she said oh, that's just wrong so you know you get all sorts of things when when you're in ministry and out in public when people find out that you're in that role and I say all that to say that one of the statements that I get all the time is that whenever people find out that I'm a minister, they love to ask this question, how big is the church? Now, I know why they ask that. Because what they think is the number of people at that congregation is what dictates the success of that congregation. And don't get me wrong, numbers matter because numbers represent people and people matter to God. But don't you think it would be a much better question to ask Instead of saying, how big is the church, what if we started asking, how bold is the church? It's because when you open up your Bibles to the book of Acts, one of the things that you're going to see that was a characteristic of that church was that they were bold. Now, don't get me wrong, like I shared with you earlier, their example mattered, and it went a really long way. But what you notice about these believers, they understood that eventually there was a time where they had to step up and say something, do something be something that somebody really needed. And so when getting prepped for this message, I was looking up a lot of different definitions of boldness, and I found this one that I really, really liked, and it's this, that boldness is a behavior that is born out of a belief. And part of the reason why I like that definition so much is a lot of people might say, see, the issue for me is I'm just not naturally a bold person. Well, if boldness is a behavior that's born out of belief, what does that tell us? Boldness is not... A characteristic trait is it that it's born out of what you believe in your core and this is how it is with anything in life like if you believe that you're always going to get criticized you are going to step out into this world very cautiously if you believe that you're always going to fail you're going to venture out into the world expecting to fail and walk out very timidly right but if you and I really believe in the death, burial, and the resurrection of Christ, and we really believe that there's power in what we possess as God's people, it should be seen as first place in our boldness, right? 
And, and so what we see as we open up Acts are two guys that were actually called by this group of people as bold, and that's Peter and John. Now, what's neat about calling Peter bold was Peter a guy that we would always call bold? Maybe. Uh, he was somebody that you might think of as being bold in his intentions, but very timid in his actions. Because y'all remember when Jesus said, hey, one of you is going to deny me, and he said, I would never deny you ever. But then a few moments later, actually to a little servant girl around that fire, right? He denies Jesus. Well, then we fast forward in Peter's life, and then he ends up standing in front of a crowd of people, the ones that put Jesus Christ on that cross, the ones that screamed, we want Barabbas. And then he leads part of his sermon starter with, you're a crooked and a perverse generation. How did he go from denying Jesus to a slave girl to saying something so incredibly bold? I'll tell you how. See, because right after Jesus rose from the dead, and Peter was out, of course, fishing, Jesus said, hey, cast your nets out. He ended up having this massive catch. Peter realized it was Jesus. He ran to him. Jesus took Peter to that fire. And remember what happened last time Peter was around a fire? He denied Jesus. And a lot of times, maybe you've had a certain place that you drive past and you remember a sin that happened at that place and you kind of just get a sick feeling in your stomach. You have to wonder if maybe Peter was thinking, man, he's bringing back this fire to tell me, yeah, last time you were around one of these, you messed me up big. But that's not what Jesus did. He brought him back around that fire and he said this to him. He said, Peter, do you love me? He said, well, you know I love you. Then he said, then feed my sheep. What he's letting Peter know is basically get back in the game. I need you. He experienced a risen Savior. And if you have put on Christ in baptism, you have too. And so what has happened in Peter is something that should happen in every single one of us. And so Peter and John, they carried that boldness in Acts chapter 3 to this gate that was called Beautiful. Now, this gate had a lot of historical significance. Even Jesus, geographically, kind of passed through this gate a lot. And if you look at ancient history, one of the things that they will tell you is that a lot of lame, sick people would sit outside of this gate and beg for money. And it was a great place to do that because people would pass in and out of that gate. And so as they were walking into this gate, there was this man that had been lame since birth that starts asking them for money. Now, history says that a lot of religious people, when they pass through that gate, that they would actually want other people in that community to see them giving money. So what they would do is they would walk by that gate, and so everyone could see it and hear the cling and the clang of the coin, they would throw down that money on the ground and just keep walking, never actually looking to the people that they were serving. And I think there's a lesson there, by the way. There's a big difference in reaching out to people and reaching down to people, isn't there? And so like they threw that money on the ground, they kept walking. And the reason why that's an important detail, and I think that's why Luke wrote what he did in Acts chapter 3, it said that Peter and John looked at that man. And you have to wonder, how long had it been since somebody had actually looked in the eyes of that man? Most of the people that might have helped him basically just saw it as not a, a person to love, but a project to help just passing by, keep on walking. But he, they looked at this man. 
They made eye contact, it says. And Peter and John said, listen, money we don't have. But what we do have is something better. And and what I think is so neat about this whole interaction is at the very beginning of Acts chapter 3, it says that Peter and John were actually on their way for the Jewish custom of prayer. So they were actually on their way to do something good, right? But they still saw the need to stop. Have you you ever been on your way to do something that you would classify and we would all classify as righteous? Maybe it's even on the way to worship. Maybe it's to serve somebody. And then on the way to that, something comes up. And you think, well, yeah, I know that, but I first need to do something else. We see that as an inconvenience. But what I love about these guys, they kind of see it as like a divine opportunity from God, and they stop even on their way to the hour of prayer. And because they stop, what you're going to see in the next two chapters is something amazing unfold because they allowed themselves to be interrupted. And you have to wonder if you and I had that kind of mindset and allowed ourselves to be interrupted, what God could do through some of those inconveniences. And so what ends up happening, they say, of course, in the text, listen, silver and gold, we we don't have that, but this is what they do say. Peter said, in the name of Jesus Christ, rise up and walk. And then Luke highlights, then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to the rulers, the people, and the elders. And the reason why I highlight that, and I didn't put this verse up there, but in chapter 5, they said Jesus Christ was our leader, which is a Greek word where we get hero or Hercules. That They were saying he's the one that has given us this victory. The reason why I point all that out is that here Peter and John meet this guy and and have an amazing moment where Jesus raises him from from being lame to walking. And never once did Peter and John ever take credit for it themselves. And, And I wanted to highlight that because as you go throughout the book of Acts, one thing that you'll notice about Peter and John that to me was one of the greatest transformations in them is that everything that they did was to bring glory to the Father. And the reason why I say that is that if you and I are going to be truly bold people for God, it's never about drawing attention to ourselves. But it's always about reflecting the nature, the character of the, of the power of the one that gave us that, that optimism, that hope, that excitement. And, and, I, and the reason why I think that's important is because I believe every person in this room wants to be somebody that is used by God to do something big, to do something great. We want to be somebody that makes heaven smile. But what made Peter and John so successful in their ministry was that they were willing to empty themselves. And that's when they became useful. And so I put it like this on on the slide. Before God can do something bold through you, sometimes he has to do something inside of you. That, That before heaven can use you, sometimes pride has to die in your heart. And what I love about them is every time something like that great happened, they always gave attention to the Father. And that's part of what made their ministry successful. Well, they say this in verse 10 of chapter 4. Let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ, the one you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, that's the reason this man is standing before you well. 
Now, the reason why this has created such a buzz is this man has been lame his whole life. So this is a guy that everybody had passed, and they knew he was lame, but now he's walking, and they have a little bit of an issue. And, and it becomes a bigger issue because the very people that were screaming out, hey, we want Barabbas, but also the religious leaders that wanted to put an end to the whole idea of Jesus, by them mentioning Jesus Christ's name, but also the death, burial, and resurrection, that was basically like not just taking the knife and sticking it in, but taking it in and twisting it. The last thing that these guys wanted to hear about was the resurrected Jesus. And so they hear that, and they're like, okay. The fact that they're able to bring up the very name that just got you in prison, that's incredibly bold. And the reason why I know that's their reaction is because you skip down to verse 13. It says that when they saw the boldness. Boldness of what? The fact that they would bring up the resurrected Savior to them was incredibly bold because earlier that got them in prison. It says when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and they perceived that they were uneducated, common men, they were amazed. Here's what I want you to know about your boldness. Your boldness will amaze your community. When I was in fourth grade, I was in at ACA, and there was a teacher that we had named Mr. Black, and I'll never forget sitting in that class, and a young guy walked into our class that night named Jay. And I'll never forget when he walked into that room, you could tell especially the girls kind of got excited. They were like, oh, you know, who's the new guy? And not only was Jay a very handsome guy, Jay was also incredibly athletic. Uh, he ended up being the quarterback and the shortstop. He was all the things in all the areas. And so when Jay came to our school, one of the things that we naturally assumed is, hey, well, we know what crowd and group Jay's going to be in. Because we had kind of had that mentality, hate to say. And so we're like, well, Jay will be in the popular crowd. He'll be with the popular people, sit with the popular folks, and that's going to be it. We, we knew that from the beginning. But I'll never forget at lunch, the very first day that he came to school, he, he went through that line. We, we had these little foam, styrofoam um, things we would eat out of from a local restaurant that we walked into the, in, in there and sat at the tables. Jay passed all of us and went and sat with a third grade boy, a grade below us, that was sitting by himself. And it was kind of like everybody in there was like, what? That's crazy, you know, that he would do that, like sitting by the kid that's by himself. Like, well, you know, he just probably didn't. He was new, too, so maybe. Well, then, the next day at lunch, he went up a grade, and he sat with a kid in, I think it was like fifth or sixth grade, that was sitting by themselves. And then, throughout the next few weeks, one of the things that we noticed about Jay is that Jay was always looking for other people that were either by themselves, other people joked on, made fun, whatever it was, and he made a point to be with them. And this kind of blew our minds because, again, what did I tell you? We had this picture in our mind of what Jay was going to be and what Jay was going to do, and he did not fit that. And, and, and it was amazing to see because of what I saw of from Jay, an amazing act of boldness as a fourth grader. It broke out like a revival of sorts at ACA of other people starting to do the very same thing. But, but I, and I also said that illustration because when I was at that age, I remember sitting there and thinking and feeling I think that's awesome that Jay would do something like that. Now, I probably wouldn't do that or have the boldness to do that. But you know why I felt okay with myself? It's because I just, I didn't make fun of people. I wasn't the one that joined in, you know, 
the, the different statements of saying hurtful things to other people, and I felt okay because, you know, I just kind of avoided it. But sometimes avoidance can be just as detrimental as bullying. And have you ever noticed that sometimes we tend to judge other people by their actions, but we judge ourselves by our intentions? And I felt okay that I didn't say anything, and I think that was part of the problem, is I didn't say something. I wish I would have had the guts to be like Jay. Now, you might think, well, that was a really long illustration. Here's why I'm telling you that. I'm standing here as a 35-year-old man telling you about something that happened to me in fourth grade. When I say your boldness will amaze the community, what I want you to know is your boldness will amaze the community. You never know how doing something incredibly bold will stick with somebody for the rest of their life. And so notice in this text here, it says when they perceived the boldness of Peter and John and that they were uneducated common men, they were astonished. Now, this shows us because uh, he uses this word ordinary. Uh, it's a, a Greek word, idiotis, which is where we get the word idiot. That's what they were calling them. They were amazed because in their mind, that's what they were, but then they were doing something like this. And, and here's why that's good news, is you might be sitting here tonight saying, again, I'm just not naturally a bold person. Boldness is not a personality trait. It is a behavior that is born out of a belief. And yes, God can use the brightest of the bright, the best of the best, but have you noticed all throughout Scripture, He loves and specializes in using the overlooked, the left out, the marginalized, those that nobody else seems to be reaching towards. He loves to use people like that. That God can use an ordinary person to do something incredibly big and bold. Well, where in the world did that come from? Well, the rest of the verse says this. It says they recognized that these guys had been with who? Who? Jesus. They recognized that these guys had been with Jesus. I want you all to hear me on this. Boldness is not the goal. Knowing Jesus is the goal. But when you know Jesus, a byproduct of knowing Jesus will always be boldness. And so maybe you're thinking, you know what, I've tried all these tactics to be a more bold person in my faith, and those tactics have not worked. What I want you to know, it's not something you're missing, but it's someone. And that someone has a power that you on your own do not possess. And what will happen is, as your relationship with Jesus Christ grows, so will your boldness. It says that they had recognized man that these guys must have been with Jesus. Now, what does that tell us then about Jesus? He was obviously what? Very bold. And so because this guy that was lame for his whole life is now walking around, and they can't deny it, this is creating quite a buzz in the community. And so here's what they say in verse 16. What are we going to do with these men. See, a notable sign has been performed through them, and this is evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and we can't deny it. I love that. 
Like, what are we going to do with these guys? Because something amazing has just happened, and we, we can't deny. And, and maybe you're here tonight, and you might be going through a really, really hard time right now in your marriage. And the even idea of an okay marriage seems so distant and not even possible for you. And maybe that's how you felt at one time. But then something happened to where your spouse began to have a relationship with Jesus. The right person came around at the right time and encouraged your spouse. And now you have that great marriage. You, you might not fully understand it. But you can't deny the fact that Jesus was involved. Maybe it was a person in here that might have been addicted to something. And, and, and kind of like what Satan loves to do, he likes to attach the sin of what we've done to the person. But sin is an event. It's not who you are. But Satan likes to get you to think otherwise. And so because of that, what's maybe happened is that you thought that thing that was holding you captive was what you were always going to be. And then you got the help you needed. Or maybe you heard the right thing at the right time, the right person came along at the right time, and now you're at a place you never imagined, and you are so grateful for it. You don't understand it fully, but you can't deny that he had his hand in it. See, in the original language of the way this was worded, that's the way it was worded. We don't fully understand it, but we just can't deny it. And so there's this buzz that has all obviously gotten around. And so they're like, okay, we have got to shut these guys up. Because we can't deny that something's happened, but here's our thought. If we can get them to just stop talking, then we can put an end to this. You might can hold captive the messenger, but you can never hold captive the message of the gospel. And, and we see that theme all throughout the Bible, even, even before the quote-unquote gospel came along, that if man said no to God's call, God's hands were never tied, and the message was going to continue to grow. That's what we get to be a part of. I don't know about you guys, but I want to attach myself to something like that. And so this is what they say, all right? So they called them, this is Peter and John, and charge them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them, and they said this, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you're going to have to judge. But we can't help but speak about what we have seen and heard. We said at the very beginning of this that one of the definitions of boldness was a behavior that is born out of a belief. And what you're noticing about these guys is that they will speak boldly about what it is they believe deeply. And so what I'm wanting to say to you tonight is what I'm saying to myself is that you and I will always speak boldly about what it is that we believe deeply. That if we really believe in our core what we believe about the gospel message, then we can't help but share all of those things that we have seen and we have heard. And, and so they get this threat. And keep in mind, these guys are fresh out of where? Prison. So they get together with the believers. And when they get together with God's people, do you remember what happened? They got together in that huddle, and they arrived in their blacked-out, window-tinted escalades in the middle of the night when no one could see them coming, right? 
and they ask for safety. Isn't that right? No. This group of guys come together, broad daylight, and they ask for more boldness. Where did boldness get them? They asked for the very thing that got them in prison. What if we started seeing trials, difficulties in the way that Peter and John see them? Instead of asking to be removed from the trial, what do you think the Lord's church would look like in the move it would make in our community if instead of asking to be removed from every trial, we started asking for boldness in the trial? And that sometimes the greatest gift is not the elimination of the problem, but faith in the problem. And that's exactly what happened with these guys. So you continue reading the text that they get together, they, they say, Sovereign Lord, and they begin to worship, and they begin to pray, and that whole place begins to shake. One of the things that Chuck said to me was, I want you to speak about something that you believe the church needs to hear. This is not what I believe. This is, we're, we're going through scripture tonight. But when you look at the whole landscape of what you see here in these two chapters, in chapter 3 and chapter 4, but really what you see in the whole landscape of the book of Acts, is that as a church, we have to believe these three things. Number one, we have to believe as the Lord's church that Jesus Christ is the hope of this entire world. Number two, we also have to believe that every single person on the face of this earth is going to spend eternity somewhere. And number three, we have to believe and know in our core that the church is not a building. It's a movement. It moves. It's not where we pray, it's the people that pray. God has given every one of us a stewardship on our streets, in our cities, in our counties, in our states, and in this world. We have to answer for that stewardship. And we all on an individual level are going to have to answer whether or not we have all been a good steward of what God has blessed us with. And so I want to give you three action steps. Action step number one uh, is to be very bold in your invitations. That there's a lot of people in here that maybe you've had this person you've been wanting to invite here or into your home, but you haven't done it yet. You need to ramp up your boldness. Now, I'm not just talking about invitation to an assembly. Yes, that matters. But I'm also talking about an invitation into your home. And, and we're talking about inviting people, not just so the church can get bigger for the sake of being bigger, but when you and I get in inviting mode, what starts to happen when we invite people that look different than us, that act different than us, that have a completely different background than us, we actually start seeing the world through the eyes and the ears of Jesus. But the moment we stop inviting, what will also happen, and this is such an unintentional shift, is that we can sometimes become very... not self-centered, that's not the word, insider-friendly, maybe, of a congregation. 
that we have this unintentional drift. It's almost like when I coached five-year-old soccer. They didn't mean to always just stick together, but it just happened. They were in a blob all over that field. But what can happen is we can be so insider-focused that we forgot and forget that the goal of the church is not just to make righteous people more righteous, but to bring sinners to Him. And so when we invite people and are always in that mindset of thinking outwardly towards those that don't know the church lingo, that that we start to see the world in the way that God wanted us to see the world. And see, one of the things that I said a few minutes ago is that we have to be bold, not just in our invitations here, but in the home. If there is one area I will tell you of the church today that we have got to recapture, it is the role of hospitality. N.T. Wright said that when you go look through the Gospel of Luke, you find this thread. That Jesus has either been leaving a table, he's at a table, or he's going to a table. You go to the book of Acts, which you notice in the book of Acts, even brand new believers, their first inclination is to have people in their what? Home. Where did they get that from? I'll tell you where they got it from. Other believers. We have got to recapture the art of hospitality. Because even though we don't mean to do this, when we get together in our assemblies, there's this unknown, sometimes known, uh, clock, right? Got to get in, got to get out. There's an expiration to that, to that time sometimes. But around a table, you're uninterrupted. And, and part of the reason why I think that's needed now, to me even more than then, is because there's this uh, book that I read that shared that one of the top poverties that the world is experiencing right now is what is called relational poverty. Because of the increased role of social media, because of the amazingly large breakdown of the family unit right now, and because people are moving around at an alarming rate, there is relational poverty. And and, and in that, people don't just need presentations. They need conversations with other people. We have got to recapture what was so important to the early church. What was foundational for them cannot become supplementary for us today. So be bold in your invitation. In your home and here. Number two, to be bold in your volunteering. I know there's a lot of volunteers here, and a lot of them are also down that hall teaching classes, and I wish I could go around and hug all the volunteers, because you're awesome, and I I know you're appreciated by the leadership here. And I I know for many at times when there are opportunities to volunteer, it may be easy to say, well, you know, I would volunteer for that, but the problem for me is I'm just really, really busy. Well, I want you to know that right now, in weeks before, you are being served by and will be served by very, very, very busy people. Everybody is busy. Or maybe for some, it might be like, well, you know, I kind of serve my time. I have looked all throughout the Bible, and I have never, ever seen God okay with that mindset. In fact, the mindset that I see that God is really impressed with is the one of Caleb. It's not like riding into the horizon on a white horse. He was scratching, clawing his way. When everybody else didn't want to fight, he said, let me at him. And I look at that, I'm like, man, we're the 80-year-olds like that. But I also look at that, I'm like, we're the 30-year-olds like me like that. 
the people that are willing to say, hey, listen, I'm, put me out. I'm ready to do it. Maybe for some of you, you need to be more bold in your volunteering. You've been wanting to volunteer to teach a Bible class. Please know what's happening down that hall when those teachers are teaching those classes right now. That is not babysitting. They are putting an anchor in those kids' hearts so that way when they get to high school, college, and beyond, they can only drift so far. What they are doing in those classrooms right now is kingdom work. Be bold in your volunteering. And what's going to be neat as you volunteer for something, you're going to see yourself get stretched, but what you're also going to see is see God use you in a way that maybe you didn't even know you could be used. The final step I want to give you tonight is this one, is to allow yourself to be interrupted. What I loved so much about this text is something that I shared with you earlier, is that Peter and John were actually on their way to continue in that, which is kind of interesting, by the way, they were continuing that Jewish custom of prayer. And so they were on their way to do something righteous, but they allowed themselves to be, quote-unquote, interrupted. And, and after I put that in the PowerPoint, I kind of thought, I wish I would have rephrased that. To see it as a, maybe a divine interruption, a divine opportunity, not an inconvenience. And when you reach to people, it's important in that moment when something comes up, that we don't reach down to them, but we reach out to them. Because the reality is every single person in this room is broken. We're all broken. We're just broken different than them. And what can happen sometimes is what has happened with these men that were wanting to put Peter and John in prison and put them in prison is that sometimes we can think because I obey maybe better than you that I am better than you. And so it's important for us as we go out into this world and see people that, you know, their, their life might be messy. That's the thing about ministry, if you haven't figured it out already. And by the way, everybody's a minister. We're all in ministry. God's called us to all be in that. Ministry is time-consuming. It's messy. And, and, and sometimes it's even confusing. <laughs> but I'm telling you, when you allow yourself to be interrupted and see it as a divine opportunity from God, you're, it's not just going to be neat to see somebody else change, but you're going to also see yourself change. You know, maybe for some of you, it's a person that you invited that you had really encouraged that they, they took a lot of your energy. And, and you might see them one day pass through the waters of baptism, and a tear starts to go down to your eye, not because you knew it had anything to do with you, but it's because God put you in that position at the right time and you allowed yourself to be interrupted. I'm telling you, you will grow. And so that's the lesson for tonight. Uh, let's be people uh, that are bold in our invites, in our homes and here in these assemblies. But to also be people that are bold in our volunteering, to volunteer for something that you haven't volunteered for before. And to be a person that allows themselves to be interrupted. All right, let's pray. God, we thank you for your word, and we thank you for the challenge to be bold. But as we talked about tonight, that if we're sitting here and thinking, right, oh, I'm not a bold person, that it's not connected to some tactic we muster up, but a relationship that we have with you. And so, Lord, we pray that for each and every person, it will start with an actual relationship with you. And that will grow into boldness that is seen being bold in invitation 
in volunteering, in allowing their lives to be open to whatever you bring in front of them. Lord, whatever doors that you put in front of us, we pray we'll step into. Lord, I thank you for the church here at Hoover. And Lord, I pray for them and that they will continue to be what you've called them to be and that each and every person will stretch themselves and see you grow in them and to see themselves grow as a result. We ask all these things in your son's name.